A word for today, Lions Down's daily podcast to help you abide in Jesus by seeing to it that his word abides in you. Nothing could matter more. This isn't to replace your personal Bible reading and prayer, but rather encourage and help you in it. Welcome to A Word for Today. It's Monday the 1st of February and we're continuing with our little series on to Peter. Uh, We've seen so far that in chapter 2, Peter is addressing the topic of false teachers. This is because false teachers represent Satan's main means of opposing the very thing that can deliver God's people and make their faith real. What Peter has been saying in chapter 1 of his last letter, his last will and testament to the Christian church, we might say, is that their faith must be real. It must reflect an inner heart reality. That's why he listed those seven uh, characteristics of a true and living faith, starting with a heart commitment to God's virtue. And then we saw that uh, he showed how a real faith, that is something coming from the inner heart of the Christian believer, will in Uh, will guard against a false discipleship, a discipleship that is ineffective and fruitless, blinkered, myopic, and amnesic, forgetting that the gospel has only ever been about the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of God in the work of Jesus Christ that enables God's people to have their sins paid for. And uh, we saw that Peter then presented in the second half of chapter 1, the means by which God's people would indeed be kindled, be brought to life, and be kept on track. That firm reference point of God's written word, that sure word from God that comes to us in writing and today coming to us in the Bible. And that marvelous resource of God, the written word, is what Satan's chief objective is to oppose and corrupt. And he does that through his agents, false teachers. False teachers from within, as we saw last week in verses 1 to 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2, false teachers that are ever-present, false teachers that are smugglers. They deceitfully and treacherously bring in to the presence of God's people things that do not belong. They act under false pretenses. As false teachers, they are themselves, of course, not mistaken, or simply in error. They are false. They are not what they appear to be. And so even when they happen to speak the truth, they do it for a corrupt purpose. And sadly, we saw uh, last week that such teachers, as well as being uh, everywhere um, and within the religious establishment, are popular. They are ruthlessly self-serving, they're exploitative, and they blaspheme the gospel. And they are destined for destruction. But now in this next part of chapter 2, Peter addresses a very important issue. And it's important to see that he's being absolutely realistic. The Bible is always practical. It gets down to practicalities. So we might understand the theory of false teachers, and that's been very clearly presented. But the practical issue is how do we resist the pressure to compromise? Now we mustn't underestimate the truth about false teachers. The danger of Bible truth is that we nearly always make it smaller than it is. We tend to domesticate it, to tame it, to shape it to our own expectations and capacities. 
Whereas usually it's bigger than that. And this truth about false teachers is bigger than we might first imagine. False teachers are everywhere and they are backed up by everything. False teachers reflect what is outside the church, which means they are backed up by the popular culture. They are backed up to the hilt by government. They are backed up, of course, by the ecclesiastical establishment. That's where most of them are to be located. They are backed up by the academic establishment. Of course, the media completely propounds what will support their teaching. They are funded to the finest degree. They have the greatest positions. They have all the authority that they need. They have all the resources that they need. And for that reason, false teachers feel like they are impossible to stand against. To stand against false teaching is to embrace uh, mockery, uh, marginalization. It is to be excluded from nearly everything. And certainly that's the case if you're in full-time Christian ministry. And that's the reason why many fail to stand against false teachers. And so Peter now addresses this issue. What is it that will equip us to stand against what we know to be false and not do what we're tempted to do, which is turn a blind eye to it? And this comes in the summary of the next little passage we're going to be looking at in chapter 2, which comes in verse 9. So 2 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now that verse is saying that the Lord knows. It's saying that God, that word for knows, means he, he knows very well what's going on. He understands to the very depths what is happening. And it's countering the idea that God doesn't know what's going on and that he is asleep. No, this is teaching us that God does know what's going on and he is definitely not asleep. Now what does verse 9 tell us that God is doing? Well, he's, uh, Peter is saying that God's knowledge of what's going on and his ongoing action in the light of that knowledge is proved in two things. Firstly, in verse 9, it's proved in his rescue of the godly from trials. And secondly, it's proved in his keeping the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. I wonder if you can think of a miracle of Jesus in which this great truth that God is aware of what is going on and that he is not idle, he is not um, inactive in that situation. Well, many of you will know that it is, of course, uh, the storm on the lake. That's a, a story, a, a miracle of Jesus that we cover in our ministry training groups here at Lionstown. does teach a very important truth. You remember what happened? Jesus uh, is asleep in the boat. It's amazing that because the disciples, in their natural working element, for most of them are fishermen, face a storm which threatens their lives. And uh, in this uh, terrible storm that they think is going to kill them, Jesus is sleeping. That's absolutely weird, isn't it? How could Jesus possibly be asleep in that situation? And the disciples wake him up. And what is the first thing the disciples say when they wake him up? They say this, Teacher, do you not care 
that we drown. It seemed to them that Jesus was asleep and uncaring. What was happening in that situation? Well, Jesus was even then preparing his church for his departure for Mark's gospel, as were all the gospels written, of course, to the post-ascension church, the church that was facing trials and temptations where Jesus was absent, where Jesus was ascended and glorified in heaven. And it must have seemed to that church at times that uh, Jesus was asleep and uncaring. And uh, we saw uh, from that teaching in Mark's gospel that uh, that is not the case. Jesus knows very well what's going on in his church, and he does care. Do you remember what he said to Paul when confronting him on the Damascus Road? He said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus absolutely identified in the most personal way with the persecuted church. And so it's teaching us that we are not to be fair-weather Christians. And Peter here is doing the same thing. He's saying that God knows very well what is going on. And therefore, we can take courage from that. We can see how that is proved, and we're going to be looking at that on successive days. And seeing that should encourage us to stand against Satan's chief agents who are false teachers. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the courage and strength that your word gives your people. Thank you that you are concerned for the absolute practicalities of standing for you. And we pray that you would strengthen us through this teaching in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A word for today, helping you abide in Jesus by seeing to it that his word abides in you. This podcast was brought to you by Lionsdown at lionsdown.org.